Hello everyone, this is Maria Lipman in our Pones Eurasia podcast featuring a series of discussions about Russia and Eurasia, about the region's politics, and about other Russian Eurasia related topics. Over the past years, and especially since 2020, the Kremlin's policy toward manifestations of disloyalty has gotten much harder. The government now relies on a much broader toolkit to punish and in- or intimidate political and civic activists, journalists, lawyers, and others, and has used these instruments much more extensively. Some of the more often used legal instruments include the foreign agents legislation, the anti-extremist laws, various constraints on the freedom of assembly, as well as on other rights and freedoms. The current crackdown is accompanied by increasing and increasingly effective restrictions of internet freedom. The most recent turning point was the summer of 2020, when Alexei Navalny was poisoned by a nerve agent. Upon his recovery in Germany and his return to Russia in January 2021, the government arrested Navalny, sentenced him to a jail term, destroyed his organization, and persecuted his associates. Many of them fled from Russia, fearing prosecution. Many other Russians whom the Kremlin deems unwelcome or worse have recently joined the ranks of political emigres. Many of those who remain in Russia are under various kinds of pressure or persecution. According to the Russian Memorial Society, a veteran human rights organization itself under pressure by law enforcement for many years, the number of political prisoners in Russia has radically grown in recent years and has now reached the level of the late Soviet Union, before Mikhail Gorbachev's liberalization. The memorial's assessment has it that today over 400 people qualify as political prisoners, five times more than just a few years ago. The memorial associates emphasize that this is a very conservative assessment and the actual number may be much larger. I am talking about the nature of political persecution in today's Russia with Alexander Verkhovsky, the director of the Sava Center for Information and Analysis, a Moscow-based nonprofit organization. Alexander, who are the Kremlin's main targets today? The media coverage is focused more on the attack at political activists and journalists, but it seems that those targeted for their religious beliefs and activities are much more numerous. Is that true? And what are the religious groups that have been targeted? Yes, it is true, I think. If we look at the, the list of political prisoners, which is published by Memorial Human Rights Center, there are many activists of religious organizations. Uh, but we have maybe to separate them to two parts. One, political and religious, both. Uh, like Islamist uh, Hizbut Tahrir Party, which is banned as terrorist organization. And we believe uh, it is not terrorist while the propaganda is clearly anti-constitutional. And there are many sentences against them. This year we knew until September, including September, we knew 11 persons sentenced and prison terms are up to 23 years. But most of people sentenced who are related to certain religious trends are Jehovah's Witnesses, for sure. It's 87 people for the same period. Oh, sorry, 80 Jehovah's Witnesses. Prison terms are smaller, if to compare to to Hezbollah Tahrir, because they are banned not as terrorist, but extremist organization, which is somewhat milder. It's 
for now it's up to eight years of imprisonment, which is not mild, in fact. We also have some other groups here. It's Tablighi Jamaat, followers of Said Nursi, and some others, but few if to compare, of course, to Jehovah's Witnesses. And um, we know for the same period from January to September, why I use this period, because we just today published the review on this period. We know 120 new criminal cases on Jehovah's Witnesses. So it's accelerating. Right. Do you have an explanation? Why has the government been so hard on Jehovah's Witnesses? I may frankly say that I have no explanation. Uh, I have hypothesis. If we look at the current period uh, this year, while we had all this big fight against Navalny and his followers, and we had elections, we could expect that our law enforcement system will shift its attention to Navalny followers from Jehovah's Witnesses, which are not related to elections by default. Uh, but that's not the case. We have no the same kind of criminal cases against Navalny followers at all. I, I expected we have such because the organizations are banned, so it's very easy to open similar kind of criminal cases against them, but it didn't happen. At the same time, as I've said already, uh, the activity against Jehovah's Witnesses is just growing. What is the hypothesis? For that, I have to refer to much less popular, if we can say so, articles of criminal code. First article is the article on, which is known as uh, actions against feelings of believers, of religious believers. This year, we have 11 sentences already, uh, while in previous two years, we had only one sentence per year. And we have another article, uh, which is called Rehabilitation of Nazism, but in fact, it includes several various actions which are not related to each other and are mostly unrelated to Nazism. And in total, we have this year 19 sentences, while last year we had 10 and the year before two. Almost all of those people who were sentenced by these two articles are not really activists. And what they did, maybe it was something not ethical, but something very minor. And in normal circumstances, it just could not be a criminal case. This kind of rehabilitation of Nazism is mostly about posting some portraits of Nazis to the online project of a mortal uh, regiment, which is kind of petty hooliganism. And abusing feelings of believers, mostly it's about some silly jokes. Uh, right today, two guys were sentenced to real prison term for such kind of a joke. And it's not only about numbers, it's about media coverage. Uh, the media coverage and number of kind of semi-official statements about these cases is unproportionately big. So it's more about propaganda, not law enforcement. And this propaganda is in the general trend of what is called protection of traditional values. In this case, it's about religion and about cult of the victory, but maybe campaign against Jehovah's Witnesses is also part of such a propaganda of 
government's activity to protect traditional values. But that's just my hypothesis, of course. Right. It seems that persecution of Jehovah's Witnesses go back to uh, earlier times. It didn't start this year or the previous year. Sure. The whole so campaign is... started earlier, of course, but it's accelerating. Mm -hmm. That's the, the case, which is unusual. From political point of view, there is no sense here. There is no pragmatic purpose, I would say because it's impossible just to eliminate such a big religious movement. Uh, and it's impossible to imprison them all, impossible to push them all out of the country. So the reason is just to make more and more cases for some purpose. I think the purpose is mostly pro propaganda purpose. I see. So some of the cases that you mentioned fall in the category of online speech, persecution of online speech. And it seems that anti-extremist legislation has been used, or should we say abused, for encroaching on the freedom of online speech. However, it seems that the original, the formal purpose of the anti-extremist legislation was not that. Can you talk about that a little bit? Why the anti-extremist legislation, what the original purpose on it was, and how has it been abused, maybe? It's difficult to talk a little bit about that, but I'll try. Of course, the original legitimate purpose of such a legislation, even if it is different from the kind of legislation Western European countries have, not talking about United States, is to protect security of the society and protection from some aggressive discriminatory behavior. So many countries have more or less similar norms, but our legal norms are very vague and that's a problem. I think they are intentionally vague. This vagueness of these norms, the easy possibility to misuse them was criticized by Venice Commission of Council of Europe but nothing is changing. New laws which are added from time to time to this complex of anti-extremism legislation are just worse and worse. So if we look at the total number of people who were punished for public statements, mostly of course online, because that's technically the majority of the, the whole number of public statements, we will see both some cases which could happen in Western European countries too, and cases of people who were completely innocent and were punished just for political reasons, or maybe for some unclear personal purposes, or maybe they were cho chosen just randomly. And there are, what, what is important here, there are many, many cases which are in between. So they are somehow related to the wording of the law, but they are minor, they are not important, they are not really dangerous. Our Supreme Court even made some clarifications on that, how to differentiate between more and less dangerous statements. Supreme Court did it several times, last time was just two days ago, but on practice it doesn't work well, especially if the cases are under control of the Federal Security Service. And now it's the most of criminal cases. They are under two articles, 
of criminal code. One is incitement to extremist activity and another is incitement or justification of uh, terrorist activity. Both articles are articles of FSB and FSB doesn't care much about these legal details. So now the numbers of the cases, criminal cases are growing and mostly again, it's, it's about internet. And it's not only about criminal prosecution, we have what is called administrative prosecution here and number of administrative punishments are much higher than of criminal punishments, 10 times higher. And we have uh, regulation, specific regulation for the internet. Authority, our authorities insist that they may request from online platforms to delete some bad, let's say, information. And what is bad? The definition of what is bad and has to be deleted is based on the law, which gives a possibility to our general prosecutor to order blocking access to the materials. And the reasons for such blocking access uh, may be not only incitement to violence or to hatred, which could be more or less the same as in European countries, but many other things, including, for example, advertising of public rally, which is not approved by local authorities, or even hyperlink to such advertisement, or the publication of so-called undesirable organization, or many other things. That's one law. And there is another law which obliged all platforms not to delete the materials which are legal in Russia, which, if we think about it, is impossible because platforms has, have their own rules. And these rules are not based, of course, on the Russian law, and they have no been based on the Russian law. So this law, law in total just cannot be implemented. So on the one hand, it's based on the German law, but is much more radical and is implemented more frequently. Now big platforms already are sentenced to fines for million and a half euro. And the law enforcement, of course, is very, very selective. It's intentionally selective, which practice just discredits the law as usual, by the way. Right. So compared to prisoners of conscience that we were talking about a bit earlier, many of whom have been sentenced to jail terms, and as you mentioned, sometimes to very long jail terms, the Kremlin compared to that has been relatively soft on journalists and on government organizations or nonprofit organizations. I mean, of course, they are under pressure and under persecution, but we don't or almost don't have instances of journalists who have been jailed. Meanwhile, almost 90 outlets and individual journalists have been labeled foreign agents. Quite a few journalists lost their jobs, and the number of nonprofits recognized as foreign agents is also fairly large. I think about 80 at this point. And your own organization, SAVA, was recognized as a foreign agent several years ago. Let us first talk about how has it affected your own activities, your organization, and maybe your, your personal activities as the director of SAVA. For our center, it's first of all some additional bureaucratic burden. And 
it's additional risk to pay big fines if we forget somehow to put this label on certain publication wherever. But maybe what is more important that we lose part of our potential partners, especially outside Moscow, because people are afraid to cooperate with foreign agents and I understand them. Uh, it's not illegal to cooperate with us, but people are afraid. So it's more difficult to organize some event outside Moscow, difficult to find partners for that. That's the main problem for us. I understand that some foreign agents organizations have much more problems. It totally depends on authorities whom they prefer to put under more serious pressure. Uh, as oh. to me personally, <laughs> I, I forgot to add, starting from the beginning of this year, according to the law, every time when I open my mouth in public, I have to say that I am a director of SOVA Center, which is enlisted as foreign agent. And the same for other, let's say, leading persons in the organization, not, not only our organization, any foreign agent organization. When I address to authorities, doesn't matter on what issue, I have included to my signature that I am director of foreign agent organization. Right. And I will remind our listeners, those who don't know, that when a journalist or a media outlet is labeled foreign agent, it has to, it's mandatory to announce that every publication, every small piece of news, every small opinion, anything has to be accompanied by an announcement that this is produced by foreign agent. And it's not even that short. It's actually longer. It's several lines. They have to be in caps lock. So, and forgetting uh, to make the announcement may cost, as Alexander, you just said, may cost a person or an organization or a media outlet a huge fine. Now, um, uh, may I just amend a little? We have two agencies who deal with foreign agents in practice. It's Ministry of Justice, which deal with uh, NGOs and non-registered NGOs, foreign agents, which we have two for now. And we have Roskomnadzor, uh, the media uh, kind of agency which have to deal with media. So Roskomnadzor deals with uh, media outlets, agents. Uh, it's difficult to pronounce even this long title. But the problem is that the journalists and other persons who became agents to this moment, they are not just personal agents. They are enlisted as these uh, foreign media outlets, foreign agents. That's somehow weird because they are persons, not media outlets, but they are in the same list. So they are under control of the Roskomnadzor. And it's Roskomnadzor instruction, which oblige all to put these 24 words in caps lock. Ministry of Justice is uh, less, maybe, maybe just cares less and has no instruction. So we as an NGO may write anything just to let people know that we are enlisted. I don't know for how long this 
difference will continue, but for now it's like that. Indeed, so apparently you are in a somewhat better situation in that respect, but how long this will last is uh, anybody's guess. So as I mentioned, journalists are still treated in a softer fashion. Journalists and media organizations and non-government or non-profit organizations are treated in a softer manner than those who belong to unwanted, undesired uh, religious groups or are qualified as extremists. Still, there is an ongoing public campaign and it's more vocal than attempts to maybe protect the rights of religious groups. This vocal campaign is trying to do something about the foreign agents legislation, maybe soften it or improve it in some way. And recently, even President Putin said something about the need to improve this legislation. Also, a large group of charitable organizations have appealed to Putin after he made that statement, asking him to remove them from the list of foreign agent organizations. In your view, what is especially wrong with this legislation? Or maybe you think this legislation should, shouldn't be there anyway. Maybe you could be more specific about what is wrong. And do you believe that anything can indeed be done to improve it? First, I, I would comment on this difference uh, between different targets of the pressure. Of course, the government used different instruments for different targets they try to differentiate somehow. So originally, the foreign agent law was used as a soft tar uh, instrument of pressure, if to compare, of course, to uh, anti-extremism law. It's, it's obvious. When the law on undesirable organization appeared, it appeared somehow in between, because if you are as a Russian citizen, cooperate anyhow with an undesirable organization, it has to be punished, opposed to cooperation with foreign agents. And on the second time, it's already a crime. So it's, it's serious enough. And we have already, we have people who are sentenced for that. What kind of groups are under stronger pressure? It's always a political choice. It's, it's not related to the law itself. And we see how it's changing. Anti-extremism law enforcement, which I know mo the most, initially was about some marginal political trends or religious political trends. But now it's more and more mainstream. And when Navalny's organizations were banned as extremist ones, it was a decision which was had supposed to have some consequences in the political mainstream. We have no more mainstream political life, if not to talk about United Russia, than Navalny's organization. And that's a big change of this year. The same is, is with undesirables, uh, undesirable organizations. If initially the undesirable organizations were well-known, let's say, so-called enemies like uh, Soros Foundation. They were known to the whole population by propaganda. Everything was clear. They were already labeled before they were announced and desirable. But the instrument is used wider and wider. And now even very loyal, I mean, politically loyal Pentecostals 
may have problems because four foreign uh, churches, Pentecostal churches, are now in the list of undesirable organizations. If we turn to media, it's the same. First, media outlets, foreign agents were Radio Liberty and Voice of America. It's understandable from ideological point of view, but now it's went so far that uh, Rosbalt Agency is also a foreign agent. It's a mainstream uh, news agency. So these instruments, they now present some danger for maybe not everybody, but for too many active citizens of any kind. That's why there are so many voices against, first of all, foreign agent law. Maybe because it relates to journalists uh, so much and journalists are more vocal. But this shift from margins to the mainstream is very important. This legislation, answering your question, is so bad that I don't think it can be changed to something proper. Anyway, it's a political instrument. It was intentionally created for very, very selective use because the definition of political activity, which is the core of the law, covers more or less everything. To become a media outlet for an agency, you even do not need to be involved in political activity in the sense of the law. You just have to spread any information. Most of people spread some information. So it's too easy. Foreign funding is not really a criteria. In fact, it's also just a pretext. It's very easy to find some you know, five rubles from somewhere. If there are no foreign five rubles, it's easy to produce them. So it's just a tool. And I don't think it is possible to cure <laughs> this law. But of course, there is a protest. And maybe the law will be amended. But I think the amendments will be minor. For example, a charity organization may be included to the list of exclusions, like religious organizations, for example, cannot be foreign agents organizations. Okay, charity organization may be included there or something like that. I do not expect anything bigger. I know there are some other projects, for example, to make the whole procedure only judicial through courts decisions that as opposed also, to what as opposed uh, to because what? because because now foreign agents are just appointed by ministry of justice and undesirable okay. organizations are appointed by general prosecutor office it's just an order of course any organization may go to the court and appeal but already being an agent you cannot stop the order maybe it can happen why not I don't think that it, 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 it could be a big problem for authorities. Anyway, most of decisions will be approved in the courts, almost all of them, I would say. Right. And I think it's not accidental that this letter signed by quite a few actually Russian charitable organizations petitioning that they be excluded from the list of foreign agents appeared after Putin said something to the same effect. And when he said that maybe there is indeed a need to uh, improve this law, he said something about charitable organizations. So I think it was somehow orchestrated. 
Maybe. He was, um, he was informed that there are charitable organizations included, put on the list of foreign agents, and then made the statement. And then, surprise, surprise, a letter, a collective letter of charitable organizations emerged. They didn't appeal to Putin before he made the statement saying that maybe the law should be, should be uh, approved. You know, th there is a problem here for, for the Kremlin because, for example, Civic Assistance Committee, which helps mi mostly migrants and uh, refugees, they have a status of charitable organization. And they are one of maybe first foreign agents for some other their activity. So that's a kind of challenge for presidential administration, how to amend the law and not to lose a possibility to label those whom they really want to label. Indeed. So, Alexander, I want to ask you a question once again about yourself. Paradoxically, you remain a member of the President's Council on Human Rights, even though you are the director of a foreign agent organization and actually I think it was back in 2016, if I'm not wrong, that Sava was recognized as a foreign agent, right? Right. So a foreign agent of five years, and you're still a member of the President's Council of Human Rights. So do you believe that the council operation, or maybe some other effort, can be of use to help individuals in trouble with the government, or maybe to soften some of the especially egregious policies. Do you find your membership meaningful still? Yes, I think it's still meaningful. In the council, there were more foreign agents before. Now there are just two of them. If our president thinks foreign agents in, the, in his council play some positive role from his point of view, I don't have reasons to discuss uh, and to argue. So, of course, the council sometimes may do something positive to protect individuals or maybe to amend some policies or some bills that happens uh, less frequently than before. Of course, we are less effective than we were, but everything is less effective. There are no real means to change this trend which we see that our political regime becomes more and more tough. What can we do with that? Because I just don't know. But if we have some possibilities, even very limited possibilities, I think we have to continue to use them. In fact, we have no choice. We may uh, use this or, or that possibilities, but any of them are not much effective. I see. So I guess uh, the picture that you've drawn is pretty bleak and the trend is certainly depressing. However, since you believe that there is still something that you and other colleagues of yours in the council and in other organizations can do, I can only wish to you and all of us good luck. 
Good luck to you as the director of Sava Center and as a member of the Presidential Council on Human Rights. Thank you very Thank you. much. <laughs>